0: We see three chairs before you this morning, and of course, tomorrow marks the 50th birthday of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas, and it will be marked by great, enthusiastic celebration, and so it should be. God is good. Truly, the Commonwealth, in her 50 years of existence, has experienced the famous third verse of John Newton's hymn, Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, troils, and snares, I, we, have already come. Tis grace hath brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. In the Bible, one generation is 40 years. So biblically, the Commonwealth of the Bahamas is now one and one quarter generations old. The babies born in 1973 will turn 50 years old between now and early July 2024. And yes, those who were babies when the new Bahamian flag was raised are now grandparents. Some of them may even be great grandparents. Those who were teenagers on July 10, 1973 are now senior citizens, retired, Collecting N.I.B., hopefully. And those who are young adults at the birth of the nation or middle-aged adults are now either very elderly or in many cases deceased. Those who died with Christ as Savior are now in heaven with him. And those who died without Christ as Savior are now awaiting hell. Since the birth of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas, the birth rate has far exceeded the death rate. There were 194,000 Bahamians in 1973, and there are now 408,000 Bahamians and residents. The number of persons in this country has more than doubled with the passage of 50 years there's been a 210% growth rate 1973 to this 2023 in 2023 it's estimated that 5% of bahamians are over 65 years old they're seniors 70% of bahamians are between 15 years old and 64 years old they're teenagers and adults And 25% of Bahamians are under 15 years old. They are children. If you think that there has been a death rate higher than before lately in the Bahamas, you're right. In the year 2000, the national death rate was 5.7 deaths per 1,000 Bahamians. And in 2022, last year, the national death rate was 7.3 deaths per 1,000 Bahamians. You may find it interesting that the two main causes of death in our country are isemic heart disease due to blocked arteries and stroke and heart disease linked to high blood pressure. Because abortion is illegal in our country, thank God, Statistics are not available, but we know, unfortunately, we know that abortions are secretly and illegally being done to our national weeping. Murder takes Bahamian lives. In 2022, there were 128 murders, and COVID took 844 Bahamian lives. Why do I mention all this information Because on the country's 50th birthday, it's a logical time to take stock, spiritual stock. But before I take that spiritual stock with all of you, I want to tell you something from my heart and from my wife Beth's heart. We love the Bahamas, the generous country which has adopted us with love. We love your flag, We love your national anthem. We love humble, God-fearing Bahamians. People ask us, I've told you, people ask us, what's it like to live in the Bahamas? And we always answer the same way. We say the weather is great, but the people are better. I love it when it's so typical when you ask a Bahamian, how are you doing? God is good. Or thank God for life. I'm so grateful, Beth joins me, in being so grateful that the Bible in the name of Christ are on our television sets and heard on our radio programs, that the Bible in the name of Christ is in our schools and in our businesses, in our house of assembly, and in our courtrooms. Praise the Lord. Amen. But then I must ask, with that being said, What is the current spiritual condition of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas that we all love? What is the spiritual condition of this country as she turns 50? Heart attacks due to blocked arteries and high blood pressure are killing the bodies of Bahamians. But spiritually dead hearts and spiritually compromised hearts are killing the souls and the morals and the decency of some Bahamians and of some Bahamian marriages and homes. Matthew 10, verse 28, Jesus said... Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. If the newspaper headlines cause you to cry, know that they are what they are because of sin. Sin is the cause of the headlines that make us so sad and even weep. And Jesus is the only answer for the Bahamas. He always has been, and he always will be. Because only Jesus can change the heart of a person. Only Jesus. And so here we are celebrating 50 years, according to the Bible's measurement, one and a quarter generations, and one and a quarter generations of independence from Great Britain, but I have a question. And you may think that this question is about as inappropriate as mentioning the national debt in the prime minister's national address to mark 50 years of independence, but here's the question. Has our nation grown independent of God? The rest of this sermon is an adaptation of Dr. Bruce Wilkinson's sermon called The Three Chairs. You may know Dr. Bruce Wilkinson's name because he founded Walk Through the Bible Ministries, and he has written some books that have been very popular, The Seven Laws of the Learner, The Seven Laws of the Teacher, The Prayer of Jabez. I heard Brother Wilkinson preach this three-chair sermon way back in the early 1990s, and it's never left me. And so as I was praying about what to share from the word of God with us on this auspicious occasion of the 50th birthday of the nation, the Lord led me, I believe, quite clearly to adapt Dr. Wilkinson's sermon on the three chairs to be a sermon on the three chairs pertinent to our great nation. I want to introduce you to what these chairs mean? This is chair one, the chair of commitment. This is chair two, the chair of compromise. And this is chair three, the chair of conflict. In Joshua 24, near the end of the conquest of the land of Canaan, the promised land, Joshua nearing death in chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, said something that Is just very pertinent to this morning. Joshua said to the nation of Israel, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods, which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As you can see, the three chairs bring this into sharp focus. This chair one of commitment was the chair that Joshua was seated in, sold out to God, All in, justified by faith, we will serve the Lord chair. He being as desperate for God as a person is for air to breathe. God's name as holy, red hot for God, the chair of commitment, chair one. Chair two in the middle. This was the chair that Joshua's children sat in. They are called the elders in Judges 2, 7 to 13. Listen to Judges 2, 7 to 13. The elders in this passage are the children of Joshua. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was one hundred and ten years old. They buried him within the border of his inheritance at the Timnath Hares in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them, who did not know. The Lord: Joshua sold out for God. Chair two, Joshua's children not sold out for God. They knew the Lord and His works, but only because their parents knew those things firsthand. They only had second-hand, pass-me-down knowledge of the miracles of God for Israel. Because Joshua and his generation told them of those miracles. The persons in this chair, Joshua's children, did not see God as air to breathe, but instead a, pair, a spare tire if something bad happened. God's name no longer holy, God's name lip service. The chair of compromise, chair two, chair three. The third generation, this was the chair that Joshua's children sat in. Joshua's children's children sat in. Grandparent, parent, grandchild. This chair, according to the scriptures, did not know either the Lord or his works. Verse 10, Judges 2. And when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. And it says they did evil. They rejected their parents and their grandparents' God in favor of serving and trusting in idols. Joshua, excuse me, Judges 2, 11 to 13. This is about the third generation. Chair three. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth's. Chair three didn't know either the Lord or his works. They did evil. They rejected their parents and their grandparents' God in favor of serving idols. To them, they saw God neither as air to breathe nor a spare tire in need. Instead, they saw God as an archaic payphone. A payphone no longer necessary. God's name, not holy. God's name, not lip service. God's name, a swear word. And God was angry with them. This was the chair of conflict. It arose from the chair of compromise, which came out of the chair of commitment. This conflict For the generation that sat in chair three was both an outer conflict, but maybe even more seriously, an inner conflict. And so we have chair one, the chair of commitment, chair two, the chair of compromise, chair three, the chair of conflict, Joshua, Joshua's children, Joshua's children's children, Much of life, whether in biblical times or today, is a relay race. And if you look at these three generations and these three chairs marking these three generations and you see it as a relay race, then Joshua in chair one passed the baton to his children, the elders, in chair two. And the passage was successfully made. But because of compromise in this generation when the baton was meant to be passed to the next generation, it was fumbled, dropped. An unsuccessful passing of the baton in the race. Now, earlier in this sermon, I mentioned that biblically a generation is 40 years. But if you'll allow me, I want to redefine, arbitrarily redefine, a generation as being 20 years. That would mean, if we have that definition of a generation, that the Commonwealth of the Bahamas has had one 20-year generation, followed by one 20-year generation. And we are halfway through a third 20-year generation. And in this particular arbitrary model, we see some very instructive things. In our congregation this morning, we have grandparents and their children who have since had their own children who are grandparents, grandchildren of the grandparents. Chair one, chair two, and chair three. At our picnic yesterday, one of the joys was to see three chairs at the picnic. Grandparents, parents, and children. I want to say that as I characterize these three generations, I'm painting with a broad brush because I know there are exceptions. There are godly people in chair three, grandchildren that love God. There are godly Children of the first generation who love God, and there are people in this chair who love God, but generally speaking, there is a drift in spirituality. There was in Israel, and I would submit there's somewhat of a drift right here in the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. Grandparents, parents, grandchildren, committed, compromised, in conflict. Attended and served in the church and love the church. Attend only the church if it's convenient. Complain about the church and don't serve in the church. Avoid the church. Write the church off. Call good evil. The idea is to pass the baton from generation to generation chair 1 to pass the baton to chair 2 and chair 2 to pass the baton to chair 3 but in some cases the pass off from 2 to 3 was a fumble chair 1 know the works of god heard about the works of God, unaware of the works of God. The Red Sea miracle, manna, Jericho, the giants, believed in those things based on oral history, which was passed on. But when that was passed on to this chair, in the passing on of those miracles, this chair failed to make those miracles Supernatural dimension that was supernatural. And so what you have is a chair that knew God did miracles, a chair that heard God did miracles, and a generation that doubts that miracles are even possible. In this chair are fresh up to the moment testimonies. You call on someone in this chair to give a testimony to God's working in their lives. They have a fresh testimony right on their lips. People in this chair can only give a historic testimony of when they were saved. No other testimonies after they've been saved. And this chair has no testimony. Silence. In this chair are the greats of the faith. In this chair are echoes of the faith, and in this chair are rejectors of the faith. In this chair, God is mighty. Here, God is memory, and here, God is marginal. Here, we have broken in a good way before God. Here, we have borrowers of someone else's experience with God, and now, in some cases, we have the brazen who have no shame in sinning. This chair, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This this chair. Revelation 3, 1 to 3, the church at Sardis, the dead church. These things I say to he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God." Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come to you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Revelation 3, 1 to 3. The unregenerate. Revelation 20, 11 to 15. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged. It gives me no joy to read that. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Chair one, live it. Chair two, learn it. Chair three, laugh at it. This chair all about God. Usually this chair all about money. And this chair all about self. Another way to look at these three chairs of three generations is with the biblical passage of 1 Corinthians 2.14 through 3. Verse 3. Listen. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I cannot speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal As to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? This chair is the spiritual. This chair is the carnal. This chair is the natural. This chair wants God's destiny. This chair wants a disguise. And this chair wants debauchery. This chair is Emmanuel, God with us. This chair is incognito. And this chair is idols. This chair says, change the world. This chair loves the world. And this chair is the world. This chair is saved with a good testimony. This chair is saved with an absent or a bad testimony, and this chair is lost with no testimony. This chair is spiritually alive and obedient. This chair is spiritually alive but hypocritical. This chair is spiritually dead and rebellious. The grandparents, the parents, the grandchildren what, what action is required in light of these spiritual temperatures? What action, what answer is required? Remain, repent, run to the cross. This chair is free. This chair can be free. This chair is slave to sin. This chair is real. This chair is phony. This chair Is angry. Notice the anger in our commonwealth? Gangs, crime, road rage, total disregard for traffic laws, anger. Know the Lord as Lord, know the Lord as Savior only. No, the Lord, not at all. Jesus is the only way, they say. Jesus is nice, they say. Jesus is one of any way, any way. They don't even say many ways. They say Jesus is one of any way to God. Pick your way. So which chair would you be in? (laughs) that question might seem to you as blunt as asking, how much did you pay for those shoes? (laughs) It's a blunt question. But what chair would you be in? Would you be in chair one? Very good. Stay seated in chair one. Generations are counting on you staying in chair one. You're a positive influence on chair two, in chair three? Or honestly, would you say, Pastor, I'm in chair two? This is a problem that has to be fixed. Any influence you would have on chair three from this chair is negative, because they see through hypocrisy in this chair. And they know that your Christianity is simply for show. Chair three, and you don't have to be young to be in chair three. In love and urgency, may I say, if you're in chair three, you are in great danger. If you die without Christ, you will go to hell. This problem of this chair is so much bigger than your upbringing, so much bigger than your home life, so much bigger than your marriage, so much bigger than your education. This problem of chair three is so much bigger than your employment or your money or your friends or you finding happiness or you finding your best life now. The problem of this chair has eternal magnitude. It's the elephant that's in the room. Greet someone I don't know. Comes up, I'm the new pastor at Calvary Bible Church. Calvary Bible Church. I used to go there for wanna. Where do you go now? Nowhere but I'm going to bring my kids or my grandkids to Awana. Think they're going to want to come when they see mommy and daddy in this chair? I just visit around to churches. I hear that so much from this chair. I said, so that means when you visit around to churches, you don't know anybody in those churches, and those people in those churches don't know you, right? Yeah, I guess so. I say, well, what if your wife made a meal every night and set the table for you, her husband, and father of the children, and they all sat around that table every night, and the chair was empty at the dining room table? And the children say, where's dad? Oh, he's eating with the Joneses. Next night, where's dad? He's eating with the Smiths. Wouldn't you as a child say, why? Why doesn't he sit at our table? Chair three is serious as a heart attack. Trust Christ for your salvation. Acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And put all your faith on the finished work of Christ. Trust him and only him to make you right with God, to give you a new life from the inside out. No one can do that for you. Your wife can't trust Christ for your salvation. Your grandparents can't trust Christ for your salvation. Your pastor can't trust Christ for your salvation. Only you can trust Christ for your salvation. Do it. Do it. You may not have tomorrow. The person who is seated in this chair should really say to God thank you for life. Because if they died in chair three, they'd have no hope of heaven. And people at the funeral could say all they want, may he rest in peace, but he won't rest in peace if he didn't die with Christ as Savior. This chair is as serious as a heart attack. Now for those of you who are in chair two, You're saved, but you're compromised. You're performing on Sundays. You're an actress or an actor. What about you? Let me just ask you and chair two, aren't you sick and tired of this chair? Isn't it a lot of work? Who did I say what to? Who's seeing me doing what? Isn't it exhausting? Are you tired of this chair? Do you see in this chair that your heart needs attention? Your mind needs attention? Way more than people are dying of heart attacks due to blocked arteries or heart attacks due to high blood pressure. Do you understand in this chair that good enough is not good enough? That it's not going to be all okay because that chair is watching you and that chair is grieving you? In this chair, are you banking on your committed parents' faith and answers they've seen in prayer? Aren't you ready to let your life line up with your lips? Aren't you wanting your conduct to align with your confession? I believe as people are listening, there's a holy hush, not because of me, but because of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that in this holy hush, that some of you said, yeah, I'm in chair too, but I don't want to stay here. I need to change, and I'm going to change. Do you want to have an authentic Christian life? Do you want to have a genuine Christian life? Do you want to have an impactful Christian life? Get into a small group this fall. One of the best ways to move out of chair to The chair one is to get into a small group this fall. You need others in your life. You need to be real with someone who you know loves you and wants to help you get out of that chair. You need others in your life. Paul Tripp, in his book, Dangerous Calling, quote, Intentionally intrusive, Christ centered, grace driven, redemptive community. That's a rich phrase. Listen, to get out of chair two and into chair one, you must seek out an intentionally intrusive, Christ centered, grace driven, redemptive community of Christians. Coming here on Sunday mornings isn't that community. Too many people. Too easy to keep wearing your mask, to keep playing your charade. Eight to 12 to 14 people in a house meeting each week, talking about Christian life together. That's what gets you out of chair two into chair one. Get into a small group this fall. 43% of our congregation, as it stands right now, is in a small group. That's not enough. You won't get out of chair two and into chair one, except you risk and join a small group. That's how you get out of chair two. John MacArthur puts it this way. Be in an environment where your life is exposed so that the people around you might expose any steps in the wrong direction. That's what a small group does. When I'm in chair two, and I'm risking enough to be in a small group, and I'm surrounding myself on purpose in ways that I will become exposed to my life with Christ, then the people in a small group who love me, who aren't judgmental, but they love me, they're going to love me out of chair two into chair one but only if I risk exposing who I really am with Christ to them. So they, in love, can expose any ways that I may not be putting Christ first in my marriage, in my parenting, in my money, in my usage of time, in my entertainment, etc. To get out of this chair and to get into this chair One of the primary ways, practical, is to get into a small group this fall. Are you concerned about the people in chair three as I am? People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, people need the Lord. Are you concerned about chair three? Are you concerned about Chair 2? How bad do you want to get out of Chair 2? How bad do you want the Bahamas to turn to God? Content to sit in Chair 2 doing nothing about that national change because you haven't yourself been personally changed enough? How bad do you want the Bahamas to turn to God? How much of the Bahamas do you want your Lord to use you to reach? Will you pass the spiritual baton successfully to chair two and pray that chair two will pass it successfully to chair three? How bad do you want out of that chair? Are you tired of it? Does it bother you to be in it? How bad do you want to reach your peers for Christ? Can you reach your peers with a hypocritical, phony, all-talk-and-no-walk Christian life? One of the ways that we get out of this chair too is to stop loving the world. Dare I say it, one of the ways to get out of chair too is to start hating the world. What do I mean by that? I mean the whole worldview that cheerfully lives Jesus Christ out of everything. Got to stop loving that. Got to stop buying into that. Got to start hating that not the people who hold that worldview. We don't hate people. We hate the worldview that leaves Jesus Christ out of everything. 1 John 2, 15 and 16, listen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The worldly Christian needs to get a divorce from the world, not to be married to the world, to get a divorce from the worldview that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of everything. Second Timothy 4.10, Paul, shortly before being beheaded, states of Demas, Demas has forsaken me. Why? Having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Cretans for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Chair two associates of Paul who loved the worldview that cheerfully leave Jesus Christ out so they wouldn't have to face execution like the Apostle Paul did. And so they compromised. And Paul was left alone in his Roman cell facing the executioner that would take off his head. You want her to that chair? Join a small group and have a holy hatred for a worldview that cheerfully leaves Jesus Christ out of everything. Now, I'm realizing that for some of us, as you're listening to this message, maybe may be feeling as though you're in chair two and you're under heavy conviction that when it came time to pass the baton to your children, you dropped it. Is that the end of it? God is the God of second chances. Unlike relay races and their rules, you might drop the baton, but you can still run the race by picking it up, getting yourself into chair one, and passing that baton successfully down to chair three. Praise God for second chances. God not only lets you pick up the baton, he, in Christ, forgives you, in the word of God, guides you and equips you to pass the baton properly, loves you, helps you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So whether you are in chair three this morning or in chair two, how do you get into chair one? I've told you small groups. Here's another way. Let's take the history of Israel because I'm in the Old Testament in this message. Joshua and Judges are Old Testament books. So let's stay in the Old Testament, okay? How did they move from chair three to chair one? Well, three things with art. Repent, return, and receive. Josiah repented, Zerubbabel returned, and Nehemiah received. In the repentance stage, Josiah cut down the Asherim, which were representations of the Asherah, the mother of 70 Canaanite idols. He cut down the poles. Repent. Read about that in 2 Kings chapter 23. That was 650 BC. Return. The Jews returned and rebuilt their temple. That was Zerubbabel. You read about that in Haggai chapter 1. Receive the word. That was Ezra who read the word to the returning Jewish people. You read about that in Nehemiah chapter 8. It says in Nehemiah 8 that the returning Jews to the rebuilt temple in their land stood for hours as Ezra read the Old Testament scriptures to them and explained those scriptures to them. They stood They didn't say, boy, this is a long sermon. I'm kind of hot in here, and the pew's kind of uh, not so comfortable. They stood for hours to hear the word of God read to them and explained. Return, repent, receive. Receive. Josiah tore down the Asherim, 650 B.C. Zerubbabel returned to rebuild the temple in 520 B.C. Ezra and the people re- returned and received the word of God in 475 B.C. I'm here to tell you that moving from chair three or chair two to chair one doesn't have to take 175 years like it did in these examples. You can move from chair three or chair two to chair one before this service lets out. You could. So I ask you in closing, are you in this chair? Are you nailed to this chair, co-crucified with Christ? Are you willing to be nailed to this chair if you're in the chair? Joshua's question of the people of Israel near the end of his life on earth in the promised land is the question before people in chair one today. Ready? And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, that's chair three, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that were served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorite in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Nail yourself into chair one, especially the men here the fathers and the husbands, nail yourself to chair one. If a family is first reached for salvation by the father-husband of the household, 73% of the time, the wife and the children come to faith in Christ. Men, nail yourself to chair one. So obviously that your wife sees he's in chair one. Commitment. And if our Lord gives our Bahamas the second half of the 20-year third generation of chair three because the rapture of the church doesn't happen within 10 years, what part will you have in reaching chair three? It's not for the professional clergy alone. It's for the believer who's gotten out of chair two and into chair one and says, give me that generation, God. I'll sacrifice, I'll love, I'll be involved, I'll pray. Give me that generation for Christ. So let me land this jubilee anniversary message airplane. What have we seen? We've seen that our country, which we all love, full of past accomplishments and full of future potential, is standing... On the brink of a far reaching spiritual decision. A spiritual decision that has made one Bahamian at a time, one marriage at a time, one family at a time, one congregation at a time. A momentous spiritual decision. That's what we've seen. (laughs) Generally speaking, we've seen where we were in chair one. We've seen, in some cases, where we are in chair two. And we've seen, unless there's the intervention of God's gospel and grace, where we're headed in chair three. But we can be in chair one again. There is going back. There is going back to chair one. Lift up your heads to the rising sun, Bahamaland. March on to glory, your bright banners waving high. See how the world marks the manner of your bearing. Pledge to excel through love and unity. Pressing onward, march together to a common, loftier goal. Lift steady sunward, though the weather hide the wide and treacherous shoal. Lift up your head to the rising sun, S-O-N, Bahamaland, till the road you've trod lead unto your God, march on, Bahamaland." Second Chronicles 7, verse 14, was written to the original readership of Israel, but I'm convinced the verse has a secondary application to Christians in the Commonwealth of the Bahamas on our 50th birthday. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and forgive their sin, and heal their land. God bless Bahamaland. God bless Bahamaland. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you've stirred in my heart and the hearts of my friends the magnitude of the decision before us as individuals and as a church. Oh, God, where we are in chair two, move us back to chair one. And may us maybe not write off chair three, but may we take the gospel by which we've been saved to them in love, in urgency, and prayer. Lord, we want to humble ourselves and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways. Because then and only then God will hear from heaven and will forgive us our sins and heal our land. Lord, heal our land. We ask this for the glory of God, and God's church said, amen, amen, amen.